Well, good morning, everyone, to this last Sunday before the day we celebrate Christmas. What a wonderful time of the year it is. Welcome to those who are joining online. And every year it becomes more and more challenging to get a Christmas message. After you do this for 35, 40 years, I mean, how many different ways can you preach about the baby born in a manger? And I have really enjoyed this message series on carols. And honestly, the one today is probably the oldest Christmas song we sing today. And it's kind of rare we don't sing it as much. But in taking a close look at this carol over these past two weeks, I have to say this is fastly becoming one of my favorite Christmas carols as I get to know the whole story behind it. This song is supposedly over 1,200 years old. Think about that. Written in the mid to late 800s. It was contained seven verses as we know them. And it was a chant that they would do responsibly in Latin. And the reason for seven verses is seven days leading up to Christmas, they would chant one verse in monasteries a day leading up to seven to Christmas. So, now, you're sitting there singing seven verses, five minutes of verse. This is going to be a long, don't worry about it. We're, we're only going to do six verses. The last verse we're going to say for Thursday night when we talk about his might. But the interesting fact, well, it was about a thousand years later that they put it to music like we know it today and gave it a refrain. A refrain in Latin is re, uh, to repeat a chorus, you know, rejoice, rejoice. That was put in about a thousand years later and, and put the music that we know today. But the most interesting fact about this song that I found so amazing is each verse is a reminder of an Old Testament prophecy that was given about the Messiah, which was fulfilled at his birth. And that's going to be our focus. We're going to take a look at each verse and each prophetic word it represents. But more than that, how does it relate to us today? O come, O come, Emmanuel. It first begins by emphasizing the person of the Messiah but not only the person of the Messiah, but it talks and declares his divinity. Emmanuel, God with us. What does it mean for God to be with us? Remember the angel Gabriel in Matthew, appeared to Joseph. And he said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She, Mary, the virgin, she'll give birth to a son. 
And you're to give him the name of Jesus because, come on, because, because, come on, let's all say it together. He will save his people from their sins. All this is taking place. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, now let's just stop there for a moment because Mo, uh, Matthew is about ready to quote the words of Isaiah, a prophecy, a prophecy he spoke some 740 years before the event ever took place. Now, you think your God is big? God is so big. God is so good. He's letting the world know what he's going to do 740 years before he even does it. And Matthew quotes the prophecy from Isaiah. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what's the big deal? You don't know how earth-shattering this message was to people back then. This is what they had been longing for. This is what they had been waiting for. God with us. Put yourself back in those days, in the Old Testament days, when you could not look upon the face of God. That when God passed Moses, Moses had to hide his face. And think about the high priest who was able to go into the Holy of Holies where the Lord dwelt only once a year to atone for the sins of the people. We're told that when the high priest went in just once a year to atone on the mercy seat, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people, they tied a rope around his ankle in case he died in the presence of God. No one could go into the presence of God. And if he died, how could they get him out? They would just pull him out. What earth-shattering news that the God whom we couldn't look upon was now going to be with us. What was it that caused the shepherds to run back to the fields rejoicing? What was it that caused the wise men to fall on their faces and bow and worship the Lord? It was the message that God, the creator, the sustainer of this world, is a relational God. Not just one far removed, not one just distant, not one who just watches over but doesn't really care. But one who came down from heaven, stripped himself, emptied himself, 
took on the form of human likeness. A hundred percent human, yet a hundred percent God. In the beginning, John starts off his gospel, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Down in verse 14, we realize who he's talking about. The Word became flesh and lived for us a while. And lived a while among us. He became like you, like me. However, he was sinless. And he lived a sinless life. What does it mean, God with us? Well, I believe the writer to the Hebrews puts it best when he says, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. In order that he might become merciful. Aren't you glad you serve a merciful God? And the only reason he's merciful is because he lives in your shoes. And a faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of his people because he himself suffered when he was tempted and he is able to help those who are being tempted. We do not have a high priest who can't identify with us. We have a high priest who identifies with us with every avenue, every area, every walk of life because he became one of us. And without sin, went to the cross to die so that we could live a holy, righteous life, clothed in his righteousness before him. What does it mean, God, with us? It means we have one who saves us and one who can identify with us in all of our weaknesses. God with us. Oh, come thou, day spring. How many times have I sung this song or heard this song and, and wondered, Oh, come thou, day spring. Come and cheer. Remember the angel Gabriel? He, he visited a priest by the name of Zechariah. He was old in his age and his wife was old and the angel says, hey, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. And, and told him how it would be. And he, he was going to be the Nazarite vow. Talking about John the Baptist being born from Elizabeth. And, and after Zechariah hears this angel, he says, well, how is this going to be? And because of his unbelief, the angel closed his mouth until his son was born. And on the day that John the Baptist was born, Zachariah's mouth began to speak. And in Luke chapter 1, you have the song of Zechariah, and he prophesies about another baby that is going to be born, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And, and here's a, 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 a literal translation. God has visited us with a sunrise from heaven. 
Aren't you glad for the sunrise? A new day. God with you. Isaiah said it this way. The people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, you've heard me say this over and over and over. Context, context, context. Context means everything. What is the context of Isaiah's writing? Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied in three different stages. He prophesied before the exile to Babylon, during the exile in Babylon, and after the exile in Babylon. That was the area that Isaiah covered. This is before the Israelites are taken into exile into Babylon. It's the time of the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. It's in that time frame where the kingdoms have been divided. The southern kingdom, Israel, partnered with Syria. Because there was a powerhouse called Assyria. And Israel and Syria wanted to go up against Assyria. The Assyrians. But they realized they weren't powerful enough. So they went down to King Ahaz, the southern kingdom, and said, hey, we want you to join forces with us. We, we want to form allies. The three of us want to go against the powerhouse. King Ahaz was deathly afraid of the Assyrians. Didn't want to partner with the powerhouses to the north. King Ahaz felt trapped. Afraid. And what does he do? He pays a king ransom to the Assyrian king. He takes of the stuff from the temple, articles from the temple, and he gives it to the king of Assyria saying, hey, I, I know that there's a group coming to, to do battle with you, but, but I want to be on your... You see the fear? The darkness? The unknowing. Judah was in a point where they didn't know whether God was with them, against them, or didn't really care. It was a very confusing time in, in, in Judah's life under King Ahaz. And Isaiah comes with a word from the Lord. That's the whole setting of Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, later in a few more verses, you're going to see where Isaiah is going to say, there's going to be a baby born. And when that baby grows up, the Assyrians and Syria won't even have to be dealt with anymore. In the midst of the darkness and the confusion, Isaiah says there's, there's a day coming, there's a sunrise coming there's a light that is dawning. Can I tell you something? Light makes all the difference in the world. Have you ever tried to navigate yourself in darkness? It's hard through this journey of life. There are valleys that are shadows. There are dark times. 
And thank God, Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me never walks in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank God when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, we walk through the darkness of this world with the light of him guiding us. And life at times, as you know it, can be very troubling can be very dark. But oh, come thou dayspring, come and cheer. Oh, come thou wisdom from on high. And here's the prophetic words of Isaiah. For to us, for to us, Judah, for to us, Israel, there's going to be a child born. To us, a, a son is given, and, and we're going to get back to this, and the government will be upon his shoulder. We'll get back to that. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At that point in life, what did Judah need most? Judah needed counseling. They needed wisdom. You go forward to a counselor to seek wisdom, to seek guidance, to seek help. He is a wonderful counselor. Did you know that wisdom has its roots in God? Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, do this this week. Go read Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 is all about wisdom. Wisdom becomes personified where wisdom is given, is talked about in the first pronoun, I. It's personified. And here, a son will be given and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. When Jesus was born, Wisdom not was only personified, but it became incarnate. But to those who have received God, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now I'm going to do this real quick. But there's an interesting study when you compare wisdom in the Old Testament and wisdom in the New Testament. I'll just give you a few. Jesus was in the beginning. Proverbs 8.22 tells us wisdom was in the beginning. Jesus was with God. Proverbs 8.30 says wisdom was with God. Jesus was co-creator. Wisdom was co-creator. Jesus provides light. Wisdom provides light. Jesus brings life. Wisdom brings life. And there's this interesting comparison that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And as we navigate through our Christian walk, there are valleys that get kind of dark at times. There are twists and turns, sometimes life will throw a curveball at you. And thank God, we have the wisdom of God 
that we can go to with all our questions, with all our doubts, with all our fears, with all our anxieties, with all our worries. Oh, come, desire of nations. I, I should have put up, when we were singing this, Pastor Bonnie, I, I love, what is the desire of nations? Haggai, 20, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 says, And I will shake the nations, and the desires of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And so be it, fill this house with your glory. But what is the desire of all nations? The desires of all nations is truly that we would be at peace. In fact, we value peace so much that nations are willing to go to war to preserve it and sacrifice lives. But let me remind you of something. Peace, true peace, can never be manufactured by man. True peace can never be acquired by man's effort. It can only come from the Prince of Peace. In looking at the prophetic words of the Messiah, Isaiah chapter 11 reads this. In that day, the coming of the Lord, the millennial reign, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie together. The leper will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them. The cow will graze with the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Danielle, Joey. Joey will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Think about that. A child will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of a deadly snake without any harm. Is that not the desire of all nations? To live without any fear, worry, anxiety, total peace. Oh, come, desire of nations, prince of peace. Oh, come thou, key of David, come. We didn't sing that verse. We'll, we're going to sing that in a couple moments. We're going to sing the, the last two verses we're going to talk about right now. Isaiah 22, 22 says, I will place on his shoulder the key, the key to the house of David. And check this out. What he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Talking about the key. 
Now, despite the Mets, despite the Yankees, despite the Jets and the Giants, despite the Knicks, and possibly I don't follow hockey, the Rangers, there is a championship team in New York City. Did you know that? Last Saturday, the New York City Football Club won the Major League Soccer Cup. It went into overtime, was tied 1-1, and then it went into a shootout. And the New York City N NYCFC <laughs> won the Major League Soccer World Cup, Cup. four to two in a shutout. And I bring this up because it was on Tuesday, this past Tuesday at noon, the team was honored on the steps of City Hall and each player was presented with a key to the city. It's around 1987, Heather and I went on our first missions trip to a town five hours north of London, Gainsborough, England. And the following, we got in really late at night. That afternoon, there was a civic reception. And our team of 22 was taken to City Hall. And there was a great gathering. And the mayor of Gainsborough presented us, didn't give, but presented us with a key to the city saying for the next 10 days, you're welcomed in our city to go about. A key represents hospitality. A key represents honor. I was telling at the age of 18, I, I finished high school my, in December of my senior year. I did high school in three and a half years and started working at Welch Farms. And after working there all winter, uh, and spring, the summer came, and one of the supervisors of the loading dock who would open up everything mornings was going on a two-week vacation, and the manager of the plant called me down to his office. Now, I'm only 18 years old. And he says, Jeff, we see that you're an honorable, hardworking, reliable individual, and I want to give you the keys to this facility so you can take Gene's place for the next two weeks and open up everything at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got the power! Keys represent authority, honor, hospitality, and the government will be on his shoulders. And whatever door he shuts can't get open. And whatever door he opens can't get shut. The keys of David coming upon the babe shows that he has all authority over God's kingdom today. In the last verse we're going to sing in just a couple minutes. O come thou rod of Jesse free. Oh, oh, come thou rod of Jesse. 
Isaiah predicted a, a difficult time for Israel when an axe would be taken to a tree called Israel and just the stump would remain. And that stump would just be there. And it looked as if Israel had been chopped down, forgotten, and left to just be a stump. Five years ago, I started a new tradition in my home around Christmas season. When my mother-in-law moved to Freehold, to the surrounding areas Freehold with us, um, five years ago, I was shopping and I saw, you know, right after, before Thanksgiving, you get those little boxes, the amaryllis bulbs, and you, you get a little pot and you can take this bulb and you plant it and and you just let it sit, and it'll start to sprout. And for the past five years, like about a week or two before Thanksgiving, I always get her a bulb, and I get myself a bulb, and we plant it, and the race is on. See who's going to bloom first. Well, I've lost every year. Hers always blooms first. And I say it's because she's home and keeps it hotter than the house. You know, I have all these excuses. But this year, she planted hers. I planted mine the same day, did the exact same thing, everything. And about two weeks later, she says, oh, I got a little sprout coming, and I see nothing. She says, a week later, she, oh, I got like three leaves now, and they're about you know, three inches tall. I got nothing. She talked about how she has not just one stem, but she's got a bulb that's a double stem where she's going to have a double bloom on it. And she has four blooms already, and there's another stalk that has two blooms. And, and she, hers is going to be beautiful for Christmas. She came by the other two weeks ago, looked at mine, she goes, Honestly, I think I would throw it away. <laughs> but last Saturday, for the very first time, I saw a little leaf peeking its point out of that bulb. And after a week, it's like this, and I have three leaves. Am I going to have an amaryllis for Christmas? Nope. But it's going to bloom. A shoot. Come on. A shoot. Will come up from that stump of Jesse. It's, it's a word of hope. When all seems lost. When all seems hopeless. You see, what my mother-in-law didn't see is she didn't see underneath that bulb. She didn't see through the planter. She didn't see the roots that were growing. She looked at it and thought it was dead, but it was alive. That stump that looks hopeless, that looks dead. There's a root growing. It's alive underneath, and up will come a little shoot from the stump of Jesse. And from its root, a branch will bear fruit. What are we talking about? The church of Jesus Christ. You and I. And in this journey called life, there are moments in our journey where all seems lost. Situations seem hopeless. It doesn't even have a chance. But never forget, 
God sees what we don't. He sees the depths of the roots that have been planted. And even though it may appear dormant and dead and lifeless and hopeless, you keep on praying for that stump, for a shoot to rise. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. So how do these prophetic words that the songwriter relates to, I love it, oh, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. How, how do these verses of prophetic words about the coming of the Messiah and be, how does it apply to us today? Oops. Can you go back, Nancy? To my PowerPoint. Go back to the slide where it lists all seven. He's completely God. And not only is he the creator and the sustainer, he's a personal God who is with us, dwells in us. In those dark shadows of life, he is the light, and light makes all the difference in the world as we navigate. He's a wonderful counselor in the midst of our confusion and doubt. Jesus Christ is your source of wisdom for the most confusing times of life. And he's the desire of all nations. He is the Prince of Peace. He is your source of peace. Remember, the keys of the kingdom of David have been placed upon his shoulder. He's the ruler of God's eternal kingdom. And when all seems lost, hopeless, he's trustworthy of your hope. That, yeah, like my amaryllis, there's a shoot. And I'm telling you, in a couple more weeks, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with when it blooms. The one born in a manger, completely God, a shoot from the stump of David. Isaiah says, will be a force to be reckoned with. Will you no longer have to fear your enemies, King Ahaz, Judah, Israel, church. <laughs>